You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you love us, Lord. We just praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, with all that you know about us, you love us more than anyone on this earth could ever love us. Sometimes, dear Lord, as we've gone through this study, we think to ourselves, even as what was said to the men this morning, that often the enemy will use condemnation and shame in such a way, dear Lord, to beat us down, to wound us farther. But then there's the undeserved, unmerited, unearned goodness and love of God who loves us in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that your, that your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension is all the promise of what we will one day experience. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Lord, cleanse me right now. Let me be a vessel, a tool in your hand. And Lord, we'll give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Wow, what a great worship. I tell you, these are great songs. And I don't know about you, but I sing them through the week. They, they, uh, they go down in my soul and they stay with me through the week. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always a joy to feel that. We're in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. And uh, last week, Reggie did an excellent job of just reminding us, I think, of two qualities that are critical and crucial if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Reggie said, number one, he said, we need the courage of Christ. He said, number two, we need a selflessness. And that was a quality that the disciples did not have and they needed. And while they were arguing out of selfish ambition, he reminded us that to follow Christ is a selfless act. And we're going to see that even further today. So today we're looking at an individual. His name is Bartimaeus. And so Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. And remember Mark, John Mark, this young man who had... uh, abandoned Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. Barnabas put his arm around him, began to encourage him and disciple him. He began to mature and grow. And when Paul's dying in 2 Timothy, before he's put to death, he tells Timothy, bring John Mark with you. He's restored to John Mark. John Mark became a pivotal figure in the early New Testament church. And it's believed that the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark at the death of Peter. In other words, he quickly began to compile all the things that Peter had been telling him about the life of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a quick, fast-paced... In fact, uh, Therese, who's from the Clarion Ledger, Therese, uh, many commentators say that the Gospel of Mark reads like a newspaper. It's just that quick. And so we saw this last week as Reggie was preaching to us, and we'll see it again today. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, then they came to Jericho. That's Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man 
Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. So he called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. Jesus is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Oh, Rabbi, I, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately, he, Bartimaeus, received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you glory, dear Lord, for this time together. Lord, uh, as we corporately have worshiped, now we look into your word to understand better your character and your nature and your love. And we pray, Lord, all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I was reading a, a story. It takes place in China. It says on Thursday, October the 20th, in the year 2011, a little two-year-old two girl named Yu Yu was struck by a van in a hit-and-run accident in China. Then at least 18 people passed by, some going out of their way to avoid her, to keep from stepping on her body laying there. She was then struck by a second van that also did not stop. She was declared brain dead at a local hospital and declared dead biologically completely early the next day. The whole incident was called on video, shocking the moral sensibility of the world and bringing shame to the proud Chinese nation. Wow. You know, it was said several years ago, Emily, I think you and I wrote a paper on this. I laugh sometimes because when kids are in college, we kind of join together in writing a paper. But I don't know if you remember when you were in school that we uh, teamed up on a paper where it was actually an a incident in which a woman was raped and murdered in an apartment complex down uh, in the parking lot while people stood in their window and observed it and did nothing about it. In many ways, when you look at this story of Bartimaeus, it's seen much the same. It's as if a crowd, the public, has become almost indifferent or apathetic to this man. And yet, here is a moment in time when the life of Bartimaeus will be affected and changed forever. In other words, he's going to be healed. And it will probably, it could be that for you today. 
God could say something in your life today that will forever affect and change your life or my life. Now, first of all, we have to look at the background of this passage. As we've said over the last several weeks, these people are on a pilgrimage. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're beginning, they're coming into the city of Jericho. This is the last city, and then they'll begin the ascent into Jericho. They start to go up or to climb altitude-wise into this city of Jericho. It's believed, I didn't know this, Reggie, but Levitical priests would actually kind of uh, crowd up in Jericho and go up in processions up into the city of Jerusalem because it's the time of the Passover. It's a time of great celebration in Jerusalem. And so Jericho was the last city that Jesus would go into before he went into Jerusalem. If you read on in Mark chapter 11, this is where we see, uh, we begin to see the Hosanna crowd, those people that are crying out Hosanna. And we also see hostility. I've been praying about Amy. My oldest daughter has been encouraging me to do marriage counseling on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know about that. But Amy says, Dad, it, you, you need to do this. You've been married for 40 years. You've got a lot of experience. You just need to begin to do this because a lot of couples are not going to come for counseling, but they would get on Facebook and listen. And then she looked at me, you know, she's that redheaded, got them big old blue eyes like her mom. And she said, now, Dad, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, there are going to be those haters out there. Now, you know, Dad, you've got some of those haters out there. Uh, they don't like you, Dad. And so you have to be prepared for that. Well, let me say something here. That's true in the life of a believer. Jesus had the Hosanna crowd. He also had hostility. Hosanna, hostility. There will always be in the life of a believer those people that are crying your praises and those people are doing everything they can to discourage you and to cause you to feel defeated. In fact, the Bible says this, beware when all men speak well of you. So you have to be really careful here. So the background here, and there's variations. If you go look at Mark and Luke's account, you might walk away and say, you know, there's conflict, there's disagreement in the Gospels as to this account. Because one talks about, I think it's Matthew, talks about two blind men. Mark talks about one. One talks about going into Jericho. The other talks about coming out of Jericho. Are these discrepancies? Is this conflict going on in the Gospel? Absolutely not. There were two Jerichos. There was the old Jericho, and then there was a new Jericho built by Herod. Do we believe there were two blind men? Yes, there were. But we believe that Mark chose to focus on the son of Timaeus because Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, would become a leader in the early New Testament church. And that's why he focused on this particular man's testimony. But anyway, this is the last miracle. The only other sign we see, divine um, miraculous kind of act is when Jesus will curse the fig tree. So that's the background, but now we come to Bartimaeus. Um, the Bible says here, Mark tells us that he's, that he's blind. He's a ward of the state. Bartimaeus lives his life. He can't draw a government check. There are no social programs that he can kind of, entitlements that he could tap into. Basically, a blind man in this particular day was dependent for begging from the crowd of people. That's how he lived his life. 
He went through every day like that. And so he somewhat depended upon a fickle crowd. I don't know if you've seen this, and it's not like I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I usually go there once a day to look at messages. But did you see the story of the homeless man who was at a McDonald's at a drive through Did you see that? Anybody see that? There's a homeless man who's at a drive, he's at a McDonald's drive through and you can tell he's homeless, he's homeless, and the guy in the window is talking to a group of people in the vehicle, and they begin to laugh at the homeless man, and the guy finally says, he says, hey man, you want a sandwich? And he's dangling a sandwich, the guy, the, the employee out of McDonald's, he's dangling a sandwich out to the homeless man, and when the homeless man comes out, all of a sudden he pulls the sandwich back and throws water on him. And the people in the vehicle are laughing. Therese, you were talking about a while back, and Willie and some of us in the course of a conversation were talking about the homeless man here on Highway 80 a few years ago that was at an establishment where they, they uh, smoke meat and they, they have a pretty good business. And during the course of a homeless man coming up, they took the coals out of the, they took the coals, uh, hot coals, and threw them onto the homeless man, and eventually he died. Bartimaeus was that kind of individual he could be taken advantage of. He had spent his life begging. He was much like uh, uh, his life had sidelined him. The Bible says that he was on the wayside or he, was, uh, he, he, he had spent his life basically watching other people live their life and basically a victim. He was a victim to the crowd. And you can just imagine, I, you know, I, I kind of imagine these, th this guy, he, 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 he sleeps wherever he can find a place to sleep because that's what homeless do. We go out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and we take coffee and pastries and Willie and CJ and WH and sometimes I'm able to go with them and they go out and they take coffee and a lot of times you'll see the homeless there. They just literally pour, they come out of the woodwork. And a lot of times when they come up, they're just, there's one man, he doesn't have shoes. Let me tell you something. God convicted me the other day. Whoa, man. I hate to even tell you this. I'm ashamed. I got a fishing boat last year. It's not much of a boat, but it's a little boat, a used boat. And I carried it to have it serviced at Pro uh, Bass Pro. It, uh, and I noticed when I carried it up there, there was a slightest little crack in the top of the outboard motor slight, but I didn't think it went all the way through. That night, it rained, and I couldn't sleep at all. The next day, I went down to Bass Pro. It was yesterday, and I said, man, I need to buy a cover. So I bought a cover, to, and I'm out there putting that cover at Bass Pro, where they haven't serviced my boat yet, my little boat, and I put that cover over my outboard motor, and immediately after I do that, God said, are you that worried about whether the homeless have a cover tonight? You know, it's those moments you go, who? Bartimaeus was homeless. He got up that morning. He, 
shook the straw. He, he brushed himself off as best he could. The Bible said he had an outer garment. He had a garment. And he went out and he positioned himself like he would always do. He positioned himself somewhere along the wayside. And he knew that because of the Passover and because of the crowd moving from Jericho and ascending up into Jerusalem, he knew there would be a lot of people on this pilgrimage. So there he is. He's waiting. You know, when my girls, I always say this, when my girls were, were, were younger, they would come in and we'd watch TV and they'd go come in the living room and they'd take their shirt and they'd do their, like a t-shirt or a gown, they'd do it over their legs and they'd pull themselves up where they would just stand, you do, does Mallory do that or Natalie? You know, they just peek up the, you know, I don't know, maybe Camille does this, but you just peek up out of that little hole, you know, because it would be cold and they'd be watching TV. I kind of figured that looked like Bartimaeus. He's got that garment, he's wrapped up, and he's waiting. And then all of a sudden the crowd begins to get excited. People begin to move unusually different. I've learned something because my dear friend Bob Smith has taught me something. People who are blind are keenly aware of their environment by other senses. Their sense of smell, their sense of hearing, by other ways they're able to pick up and to piece together what may be happening even though their eyes cannot see. I've, I've been a lot of times teasing around with Bob Smith, this blind preacher friend of mine, and I'll be doing something, and he'll look at Sheila and say, what is he doing? And I'll look at him and say, how do you even know what I'm doing? You're blind. But he begins, Bartimaeus begins to piece together the activity of the crowd when all of a sudden somebody goes by him, he grabs the garment of that individual, and he, and he inquires of them what is happening, what is going on, and I believe it's in that moment that that voice, that rough voice, pulls that robe away and says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And immediately, this blind man wrapped up in his garment was sitting there with a fickle crowd waiting for somebody to show him some mercy. All of a sudden, his smile comes to his face. His eyes are sunken, dark. He's never seen. All of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus! Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David. Jesus, have mercy on me. His cry rings to the streets. The crowd tells him, shut up. Anybody ever been bullied? Ever been bullied? You know, bullying not, is not a new thing, isn't it? I remember when my dad, when we moved from Florida to Mississippi, Yazoo City, I was in the seventh grade, and I hated it. Because I was born in New York, I'd lived in Florida, I'd lived all over the country, my dad worked for NASA, and I had a Yankee accent bad. Hey, you guys. <laughs> and the first time I said, hey, you guys, man, I was labeled... And I'll never forget one day a guy coming up to me and he had what they call, have you ever seen the mother-in-law's tongue? Have you ever seen that plant that's called the mother-in-law's tongue? Is that what it's called? It comes to a point, a real sharp point. This guy came up behind me, a bully, and he jabbed, jabbed it in my rear. 
And then he and all of his popular buddies begin to laugh. You ever been bullied? Because there's something about bullies. Bullies will redefine your life. Whatever the bully is in your life. And let me tell you something. It's Pornography, I'm discovering as we're in this study, is a bully. Drugs, alcohol, whatever dictate, whatever governs your life, controls your life, in some ways is a bully. You've got an enemy, the devil, and he will bully you. And bullies tell you where to go, what to do, how loud to speak, when to speak, and when to shut up. Bullies are that way. They control our lives. Bartimaeus had lived his life that way. And so all of a sudden we see him here. And he's shouting to the top of his lungs. And in the Greek here, it's the idea of a cry or a sob. It's as if he's wailing. And the, and the grammar here is it's a continual wailing. He's crying out, begging for attention. It's kind of like a baby. Sheila and I, when we were celebrating an anniversary a few years ago, we went to New York City and we went to NBC Studios. You know, if you've ever watched the Today Show, you know, uh, well, Matt doesn't do it no more. Matt Lowry ain't going out there, but whoever's going out there now, but they'd go out there and speak to the people. And so Sheila and I, we got up and we went down there, ran down there, boy, because we wanted to be on TV and we wanted to, you know. So we go down and we're standing down there. There's big old Al Roker. You know, the weatherman. Isn't that his name, Al Roker? Al's such a nice, kind guy. Great, great African-American guy. Just a great guy. And so uh, I thought, man, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. This is our anniversary. And there was Meredith, I think it's Vieira, Meredith Vieira, and Al Roker. And so I start hollering, Al! Well, everybody's hollering now. And I mean, I, I thought, hey... I'm going to make a fool out of myself. But Sheila loves Al so much, I'm going to get Al over here one way or the other. So I said, Al, Al, Al! And I just kept on hollering Al till finally he looked that way. And he comes over, big old smile on his face. And I said, hey, Al, I'm, I'm Jeff Parker. This is my wife, Sheila. We're from Mississippi. And uh, we love you. Just want you to know it was my, it's our anniversary. And then Meredith Vieira came over and she said, how long have you been married? And we said, I said, it was like 35, 36 years. And she said, wow, y'all look young. Well, man, we're really full of ourselves now. <laughs> when, I, when I read about Bartimaeus, I thought to myself, I thought That's, that was the way I was that day. You just do whatever to get somebody's attention. Because he was in. And the crowd tells him to shush, be quiet. Kind of derogatory, shut up or shush it up, uh, quiet down. I wrote down here, when you examine chapter 11, the crowd that quiets a man in need, Bartimaeus in chapter 10, is probably the same crowd that was trying to shut the worship up as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. R. Ken Hughes wrote this. He said, he wrote this kind of a, a little bit of a narrative. He said, no way was blind Bart going to be, to be shut up. Son of David, have mercy on me, quiet beggar. Son of David, have mercy on me. Will somebody shut him up? Son of David, have mercy on me. If you don't stop, you'll need mercy. Son of David. And R. Ken Hughes said, what is true here was that Bartimaeus was beyond the crowd, 
I meant beyond the control of the crowd that had bullied him all his life. Bartimaeus was aware of his blindness. He had been blind since birth. He had never seen a blue sky, never seen flowers. He didn't know what it was to see flowers bloom. He didn't know what it was to look into the face of a child. He, he knew nothing. And he cries out. You know, the uh, well, uh, Michael, I think it's Michael Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son, said that Ronald Reagan was going to a blind school. Here, the president of the United States, he's going to a blind school. And Michael Reagan, his son said, I think it's Michael, he said, he was wondering how his dad, the president of the United States, would even relate to children. Here he was, an old senior adult, you know, who uh, had his sight, but here he was with blind kids. And he said his dad walked in and, and President Reagan began to talk to these blind children when all of a sudden he recognized that he was not communicating with them. So he did what we do on the mission field. I learned something. Anytime I would do this in Africa when I would bow to pray and I would bow in Chitanguiz and places like Africa and I'd pray. And I would say, and I would start praying in Shona and then all of a sudden I'd feel hands. Because the African children were trying to see if my skin was like theirs and my hair was like theirs. They wanted to touch me. Michael Reagan said that Ronald Reagan, all of a sudden he realized the difficulty trying to communicate with these blind children. And he said, here he was, the president of the United States. He said, my dad, he went and he just sat down in the middle of these children and he invited them to come. And they began to gather all around him, touching his face, his eyes, his mouth. Because they were taking in who he was. He cries out with a messianic title, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. Helen Keller was asked, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have good eyes and see nothing. Some in this room are spiritually blind. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that. Until you and I know Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're blinded by the world, Satan. We can't see. But this was a bully crowd. This crowd, had, this crowd orchestrated and manipulated his life. Because let me tell you something about homeless. And we've seen a lot of homeless die, but let me tell you about people who beg. And if you go to Africa, you see begging at its best. But let me tell you what beggars do. Beggars are very sensitive to the crowd. Whatever the crowd says, they'll do because they're hoping if they can appease the crowd, then the crowd will give them what they're begging for. So if the crowd tells them to shut up, they figure, well, if I shut my mouth, if I keep quiet, if I'll just lay low, maybe they'll throw me a crust of bread or give me a little something. Uh, you know, I was listening to Billy Graham on this passage, and then T.D. T. D. Jakes came on, and T.D. Jakes was preaching to Hillsong, and it was this massive group of people, and you, can, you know this big African-American just gifted in preaching. And here's T.D. Jake sweating, pouring off of him, and he's holding a cup. And he's like Bartimaeus. And he says, this is Bartimaeus. He's holding his cup, and he's wrapped up in his garment, and he's holding his cup begging. And then he made this statement to that Hillsong congregation. He said, what's in your cup? What's the world thrown into your cup? 
Because the reality is for many of us in this room, we'll never be everything that God would have us to be because we desire the affirmation and the approval of the crowd. We allow those people around us to orchestrate, manipulate our life to the degree because we want to fit in. Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able and I may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, you and I will never know God's will. Some of you, the reality is that your workplace, where you're getting your schooling, your education, your peers govern your life and tell you what to think, how to think and what to do and when to do it. And the reality is sometimes that we find ourselves conforming to the crowd. Had Bartimaeus conformed to the crowd, he would have never had the touch of Jesus and he would have never been healed. If he had quieted down, if he had shut up, he might have got a coin, he might have got a piece of bread, but he would have lost an encounter with Jesus Christ. Wow. But we do. I had a man one time who attacked me, left his church, attacked me, attacked the church. He had this little theophany that I believe was out of the pit of hell. And I'll never, I'll never forget reading that. And man, it just cut me, it hurt me. And I looked at that and down below it, the first one to respond was his dad. And his dad's were, that a boy. And I thought to myself, his dad with all of his problems and how they had often conflicted over his convictions and his Christianity, the young man now was getting a that-a-boy from his dad. Let me tell you something. Be careful where your that-a-boys come from. Be careful where your that-a-boys come from. And what, let me ask you a question. What would you do for a that-a-boy? You and I, 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 I wrote this down, you can't get a that-a-boy from the world and a well-done, thou good and faithful servant at the end of the life. You can't get both. Right? Bartimaeus knew the world. He had lived on their scraps. He had lived for a nod from the crowd. He had lived for a crust of bread. He had lived his life for the acceptance of whatever the crowd would throw in his direction. And that's some of you in this room. Let me tell you something. Some young people in this room, you'll never be used mightily by God because you're de determined that you're going to fit in regardless. You want to be accepted by your peers, by those students that you're going to school with, and so you'll never stand out. You know, I wrote this down. That is a sad existence. Some desire a, a that a boy from the crowd, a parent. Some of you desire the, the approval of your parent. You've been waiting all your life for a that a boy from dad or mom. Let me tell you something. Maybe you and I might have to Maybe you and I might have to compromise and conform to the world to get a that a boy from our own parent. Didn't Jesus make the statement that sometimes the people in your own household will be your enemy? Sometimes we desire a that a boy from our peers, from our friendships. Sometimes we desire a that a boy from our spouse. 
Sometimes, listen to this, and I'm going to get real personal here. Sometimes some parents want to be a hero to their kids. They want to get a that boy. They want to be a buddy, a friend to their child. They want a that boy from their son or their daughter rather than being the parent. Well, let me move on. Because you, you see here a picture of the church. Um, Jesus stops. I mean, there's a massive crowd of people. He, he's, 18, he's 18 miles from the cross. And now a beggar screaming at the top of his lungs, sobbing and crying, Jesus, thou son of David, causes Jesus to stop. And let me tell you something. The crowd is now under the authority of Jesus Christ, aren't they? Because Jesus tells the crowd that had been telling Bartimaeus to shut up. He tells the crowd, go get him. So if Jesus is way over here, here's Bartimaeus way over here, the crowd is now under the authority of Jesus Christ and he tells them now to go and to call them. Your job, my job, is ecclesia, the called out ones of Christ. The body of Christ is to do exactly that. Jesus is always telling you and I, go into your school, go into your workplace, go into that academic environment, go into your job, go into your neighborhood, go into your community, and call those, I'm calling them, ecclesia, to call out. He tells this crowd, he says, go. Are you a conformer? You like to fit in or are you a follower of Jesus Christ that has begun to understand your responsibility and my responsibility to permeate the areas in which we live with our influence. We're to be salt, light, and yeast. We're to use our platform for the propagation of the gospel. He's calling you. That's what they said. I mean, I picture this scene. I mean, I can't help it. I mean, I, you know, it's just the way I am. It's kind of that writer at heart, you know. You, you just see this guy wrapped up in his garments. It's cold, you know. And the crowd's going by. And, he's, and maybe he does have his little cup, as T.D. Jake says. And he, he's, Jesus, he, he's crying out to the crowd. And then all of a sudden he learns that Jesus is passing by. He's going by. He's got to act now. It may be too late. He, he, he's got to do something now. He, he can't wait on this. So all of a sudden he says, Jesus thou son of David he begins to cry out and it begins to echo down through the and, and, and guess what happens here's Jesus way over here and Jesus look Jesus has passed on by he's heading Jerusalem he's 18 miles from the cross he's heading to the cross everything is to Jerusalem and to Golgotha his sights are set and then all of a sudden back in the background Jesus thou son of David have mercy and he he turns. Now I'm talking about thousands, perhaps thousands of people. This is, uh, Molly, this is what you learn when you're a mom. She's got her first little baby, CJ, little boy, beautiful little boy. And what you learn is you distinguish his cry from all others. Right, Benjamin? Right? Is that not true? And the dads, we're not very good at it, Caleb. We, David, we can forget it, but moms, they're really good at it. Jesus says, call him. 
They, look, I believe these, this crowd, they come running back. I, I say, he's Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, come on, man. He's calling you. And they're literally dragging this guy, you know. He's a blind man. I got one under each arm. And they start pulling him in that direction. And they get him over there. And Jesus then asks him, what do you want me to do? We have not because we ask not. What do you want me to do? I want to see. Huh. I just want to see. Jesus is staring into those sunken sockets, void of life and light, unused, dried up sockets, crusted over with the dust from the streets. And then all of a sudden Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do? I want to see. Tuesday I was discouraged and man, I was just down. I mean, I was just down. You drive through this community and you see the abandoned houses. You see drug deals going on just out in the open on the streets. And you see this community so held in bondage to sin, drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity. And it just literally rips your heart out. And I was so, so discouraged. And later on, I looked at Sheila and I said, Sheila, I'll sell this house. We'll liquidate our assets. I'm not going to beg church leaders to come to church. And I'm not going to beg people to go out and share their faith. Not going to do it. We have a great opportunity. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it. Of course, Billy Graham passed away this week. I think everybody knows that. He was close to 100 years of age. We all knew that day would come. I don't know about you, but it's kind of a sadness. That, yeah, we can say as Christians there's joy, but there's a little bit of a sadness. Do you, know how his, do you know how his ministry started? Anybody know? I didn't even give you an opportunity to say something. Anybody know how his ministry started? Well, I've read several of, of biographies, autobiographies. There were some key things that happened in, Will, in, in Billy Graham's life. Number one, Billy Graham was on his way to the L.A. crusade. He said he was middle, in the middle of the desert. He had his Bible. And he was really, now listen to this, he was really battling with some doubts, some uncertainties, some things that he did not understand in the Word of God. He was, really a, he was at a crisis in his faith for all those who struggle sometimes with the Word of God. And he said that he went out on this desert road and he held his Bible up. He just got before the Lord. He began to pray. And he finally just held his Bible up like this. And he said, God, he said, I'm just going to live my life and believe and put my faith and trust that this is your word, that this is the word of God, and I'm going to preach it. That's, that's before he went into the L.A. crusade. Now he gets to L.A. and all of a sudden they begin this crusade. In 1949, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It began to go days. It went weeks. It began to affect the entire country. It, it was affecting the entire country. But do you know how it began? Therese, do you know how it began? Have you ever heard of William Randolph Hearst? William Randolph Hearst in 1949 had built one of the largest newspaper agencies in the entire country, if not the entire world. William Randolph Hearst saw God using Billy Graham and saw God doing something in the L.A. crusade. Billy Graham said he never met Hearst. He never had an opportunity to meet him. But he was well aware of this. This is how. A newspaper 
was told by William Randolph Hearst two words, Puff Graham. This man that actually controlled the news for the entire country, if not most of the world, said two words to his newspapers. He said, Puff Graham. And what he meant by that was put him on the front page and, and, and do something. Now, I'm not saying put us on the front page, and I'm not saying all that. But I will say this, God gives everybody in this room platforms and opportunities to be about advancing the kingdom of God. Puff Graham. And because of that, he was on the front page of the paper. God began to do something. God began to use the commitment. Now there's one other thing. Graham made a commitment with his, with his group of men, Cliff Barrows and those others, that they would be financially... Uh, they would, they would practice ex, uh, integrity in their finances. They would never be alone with a woman. They would bring in the highest level of, of uh, commitment and integrity in dealing with people of the opposite sex. They made these, but it came down to this, Puff Graham. I believe sometimes that God gives us opportunities. And if we're not careful, those opportunities pass by. Jesus Christ impacted Bartimaeus' life because that beggar who had spent his life in bondage in a brief moment recognized Christ passing by and made a commitment. I'm not going to be held in bondage by the crowd anymore, not under the control of the crowd from here on. And he stepped out. Now, let me say one more thing here and you can go ahead and stand. Last week, well, a couple of weeks ago, do you remember? Do you remember in the news a 18-year-old young man, African American, with a young lady, his girlfriend? They went into a business and they were going to rob the business. She took a gun, hit the the merchant in the back of the head. They began to get the money out of the out of the register. While they were getting the money out of the register, there was another attendant in the back. He let out this dog. The dog began to come out, began to chase this couple. As they were running out, they grabbed the money out of the register and they were leaving. By that time, the guy that was sitting in the back of the head had been able to get his gun and he fired his gun and he shot and he shot the young man, 18 years old, in the head and that young man died, in the, died not moments after. His girlfriend got on in the vehicle and left. You're you remember that? He did what? He worked at the Iron Horse. So Daniel, he worked with you. Okay. Now let me tell you something. Willie told our men last week, and Willie had already told me this. He said, he said it wasn't just several weeks ago. He said he came to a corner, a street corner here in the community. And he said that 18-year-old young man was standing out there and he was smoking weed. He was standing out there on the street corner smoking weed with another guy. Just right out there in the open. And Willie said he pulled up to that corner and he looked at that young man because I, I, I got a feeling, Willie, that you struggled with him because that young man had got your grandson into trouble and your grandson who used to hang with him has been in jail now for seven months. Is that right? So Willie, I, I can see your disposition is changing, your countenance. So Willie, the guy smoking weed on the street corner who helped get his grandson 
seven months in prison, who's still in prison, got him into trouble. Whittley looks at him and he rolls down his window and he says to him, he said, you know what? He said, you're not going to quit until somebody puts a bullet in you. And somebody did. Now, I'm not going to pick on Willie. I'm not going to pick on Daniel. But I'm going to tell you, men, this is the way I think. When people die in this congregation, people in churches that I've preached, people that I've run into, when people die, you know what the first thing I'm automatically just absolutely racing in my mind to try to remember? What do you think it is? Did I have a chance to tell them Jesus is calling you? Did I, did I take time to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? Did I share with them the gospel? Did I give them an opportunity? Did I give them the information? Let me give you an example. You remember Sean? You remember Sean? Supervised Lord, JPD called him Supervised Lord. Sean came to the door of this church, probably packing. Sean was, Sean, Sean was so angry, he was beside himself. I went to the door, and I thought to myself, man, I'm a dead man. Because he was one bad-looking dude. He is a vice lord, and he is bad. So we come in here, we sit right there on that pew, and I begin to talk to him, talk to him, talk to him. I begin to talk to him. And finally, Sean looks at me, and I look at this guy, and tears are streaming down his cheeks, crying. And then I said, Sean, and I, and, I, and I told him a story, and all of a sudden he looked at me like he was shocked, like I'd thrown ice water. He said, how do you know that? And I said, what? He said, what made you use that name in your illustration? I said, nothing. I said, I just kind of drew it out. He said, that was the man I'm going to kill. He said, that was the man that I was on my way to kill. Now let me tell you something. I discipled Sean. This church did everything we could trying to reach Sean. But you know what Sean would do? Every Thursday, he and I would meet. We would do what we call a life transformation group, an LTG. And we would meet. And every week, he could tell me every crime, murder, everything going on in this city. He'd tell me all the corruption. This is the guy you need to talk to. He'd tell me all the corruption, all of the junk. And he'd just sit there and weep and weep and cry and cry. Snot just... Hey, listen, all that writing on the wall, a lot of it came from Sean. And finally, he's back on the streets, wandering up down the streets. People just write him off as crazy. I tell you what was wrong with Sean. Sean experienced what I experienced last Tuesday. He saw this community and the people in it going straight to hell, held in bondage by drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity. He saw this city with all kinds of political corruption. He saw this city, and you know what he felt like? He felt helpless to do anything about it. And he grieved himself, I believe, to the point that he just literally could not function. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you went to your place of employment? When was the last time you went to your school? When was the last time you drove through your community and asked the question, God, have I become cold, apathetic, and indifferent to the people that you put in my path for me to reach? If we don't tell them Jesus is calling, let me ask you something. Who is? Who is? 
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we understand Bartimaeus. We've been there. For some of us in this room, we may still be. We recognize, dear Lord, in our own lives, even as followers of Christ, that if we're not careful, we sure desire the that of boys. We sure long for the affirmation of the world. We love to get the approval of teachers and professors. We enjoy the slap on the back from our peers, our friends, and our family. We love for the boss. It doesn't matter if we have to be unethical or immoral. Uh, it doesn't matter. If we can just get their approval, then... Uh, Maybe it's worth it. The problem is when the world is giving us a that a boy, if we die in that moment, we probably will not hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For some in this room, some young people, they're held in bondage. There's some parents, maybe senior adults. There are people in this room, people that are listening by way of the podcast, the website, who are held in bondage to the crowd. They long for the approval of the people around them. And the only problem is to gain that means that you have to conform and compromise. Lord, I pray today like Bartimaeus that some of us would begin to be much bolder much more apt to shout, just to holler out loud, just to praise the Lord. Some of us, we would begin to be more aggressive in sharing our faith, talking to other people, looking at somebody that crosses our path and saying, listen, before you leave, this is an easy one. I love this one. What can I pray with you about? That is the most non-threatening way to approach somebody. Whether it be a waitress, whether it be a cashier, I've seen more people who start to tear up when you ask that question. Listen, later on I'm going to be praying. How can I pray for you? You'll see tears start welling up in their eyes. Think about the young lady at a restaurant. Sheila and I, we, I was ready to leave. She was cold. She looked like she hated us. As she took our order... She looked like if she had had a gun, she would have shot us. And then Sheila, she was walking away. The waitress walked away. Sheila shouted past, shouted to her, Hey, we're getting ready to pray. How can we pray for you? She did a 180, turned around, came back. Tears began to fill her eyes. She said, My car's broke down. I can't pay my rent. I'm at the end of my rope. And she just wept standing there. She didn't care. And we prayed for her. And then financially, we tried to help her. And then, Lord, we prayed that you would do something great in her life. Sometimes, those words, how can I pray for you? At the beginning of a conversation. Lord, help us to recognize all of the men and women who lie along the wayside. For some of us in this room, you've given us platforms, opportunities to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And we must do that. And I thank you, Jesus, that when you see us broken, impoverished, and blind, and forgotten, and left in bondage to the crowd, that, Lord, you smile and you say, call him. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We pray, dear Lord, if someone in this room does not know you, that today they would give their life to you and begin to serve you. And if they know you and they're, and they're a Christian, that they will sell out and, and live their life for you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.